Amen. Thank you, June. I want you to get your Bibles and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 49. We are, we've been studying the life of Jacob and uh, his testimony. We've been looking at uh, the theme, the great cloud of witnesses. And the uh, Bible says God gave Jacob a testimony. And we've been looking and tracing the life of Jacob and how that applies to our life. And uh, we looked at him as the grasper. That is how all of us are born, with a selfish nature, sinful, selfish nature, trying to get all we can. We saw where Jacob made a commitment to the Lord, and uh, he vowed a vow, and he committed his life to follow the Lord the rest of his days. And like most of us, we saw that Jacob was a struggler. He wrestled with God, and there may be things right now in your life that you're wrestling with God about, and you're in a struggle. We saw, though, that even in the midst of all that, Jacob was still a worshiper. He still gave honor to the Lord. And uh, last week, we talked about Jacob being a blesser and how he blessed his sons. And uh, we talked about the power of the blessing, the power of the family blessing, as we fathers and mothers bless our children and bless one another. But Jacob, the grasper, the vower, the struggler, the worshiper, the blesser, became Jacob the inheritor. And uh, that's what I want us to look at this morning. You stay there in, in Genesis 49. I'm going to read a passage out of Genesis 28. He says, um, this is Jacob's vow. And the Lord stood above Jacob and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now that's exactly uh, what God told Abraham. And so Abraham received the blessing and, and uh, these promises of God, then, then God made the same promises to Isaac, and now God's making these same pr promises to Jacob. Jacob is now inheriting these promises, passed down to him by God through Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father. We read in chapter 35 and verses 9 through 12, it says, God appeared to Jacob again, and said, Your name is Jacob. Your name will not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. Now let me ask you something. How many of you have ever inherited anything from your parents? Anybody ever inherited anything? Oh, come on, don't be bashful. But you're afraid that I'm going to ask you to give it, aren't you? <laughs> well, if the Lord prompts you, you just go right ahead. But uh, most, many of us, or many of you, are, are heirs. You, you know what an inheritance is. And now Jacob is here in chapter 49. He's at the end of his earthly life. And after he had blessed his sons, he's now preparing them for his departure. And there's one last and important piece to his testimony. There's more to what he tells us in Genesis 49 than meets the eye. But let's read that. Pick up in verse 29 of chapter 49. 
Then Jacob charged them, that is his sons, and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that, that, that are there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob was instilling in his sons his faith in God. He was passing on the blessing. He, he was passing on the promises that God had given him, his father, and his grandfather. Now he's passing that along to his sons. And um, he was instilling his faith in God and his sons and, and the hope and the promise and the fulfillment of God's word that he said, you will inherit this land. This passage, when we amplify it by the new covenant... This was the Old Covenant. But when we look at the New Testament in Christ, it gives us the descendants of Abraham by faith. Great hope that we too have become inheritors of God's promise to Abraham, which is the prize, the goal of our testimony. Let's look at this. I want, you to, sh I want to show you some things about our inheritance that maybe you haven't thought of. You may look at your earthly inheritance and say, well, you know, it's kind of meager. It wasn't what I expected. I, I, I would hope my parents would have done better. You know, or maybe you didn't get an inheritance at all. Maybe you don't have anything coming to you whatsoever when your parents pass on. Or maybe your parents have already passed and, and left nothing. Let me share with you something. That, that's all temporary. That's all passing, even if you did get a boatload. You know, it's going to pass. And, when, and even if it doesn't pass, you're going to pass and leave it to your kids or somebody else. You can't take it with you. But there's an inheritance that's greater. And I want to share some things with you about it. First of all, our inheritance includes our being gathered to God's people. Now notice this phrase in verse 29 and 33. Jacob said, I am to be gathered to my people. And in verse 33, it says he drew his feet up into the bed, he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This phrase, gathered to his people, that was used of Abraham. That was used of, his, of Jacob's father Isaac. God used it in Deuteronomy to describe the death of Aaron and Moses, his brother. Gathered to his people. Gathered. What does that mean? Well, it means to assemble, to put all together, to bring, to receive. You know, it's important that we note here that this phrase does not simply refer to death and burial. I mean, that's kind of what it seems to suggest in verse 29. I'm to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers. In other words, take me to that cave where all my people before me were buried, just like when your loved ones die, you take them to the family burial plot and you bury them with the family. He's not talking about burying me with my family. If you look at verse 33, it makes it a little bit clearer. It says, he drew his feet up into the bed, he breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Now, if you keep reading, chapter 50, verse 3, it says, 40 days were required for the embalming of Jacob. And then, 
Joseph had to ask Pharaoh's permission to travel to Canaan because Jacob made them promise, don't bury me in Egypt, take me back to Canaan and bury me. So then there was 40 days plus travel time, which they say was about 10 or 11 days to get where they were going. So that's 50, 51 days. And then once they got there, they mourned another seven days. So there's at least close to 60 days there from the time he breathed his last to the time he was buried. But the scripture says he breathed his last and was immediately gathered to his people. This concept of dying for a believer and being immediately gathered to his people is supported in the New Testament. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable about two men. One man named Lazarus, not the one that came back from the dead, but the beggar man, Lazarus. Says he could, he, all he could do was get the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And it says both of these men died, the beggar and the rich man. And it said that when Lazarus died that he went to be, and it says, in Abraham's bosom. So immediately upon Lazarus' death, he was gathered to his people. And we see him there in the bosom of Abraham. In the mountain of transfiguration, we find Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Which, by the way, the mountain of transfiguration is a foreshadowing of heaven. When we get to see Jesus in all of his glory, Peter, James, and John got a hint of that. As he was transfigured, what he truly was, he became became visible to Peter, James, and John. So the mountain of transfiguration is a picture of heaven. Jesus is standing there. And who else is with Jesus besides Peter, James, and John? Who shows up? Moses and Elijah. The representations of God's people in the Old Testament. So going up the mountain, they were gathered with God's people. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was questioned about the resurrection. He was asked about that woman whose husband died, and then her husband's brother died, and then her husband's brother died, and, and another brother married her, and he died, another bro- and on and on, until she had been married seven to seven different brothers. And they said, well, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? That's a good question, right? Here's what Jesus replied. He said, you're mistaken. He said, you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. He said, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am, present tense. He says, he is not, Jesus said, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so... What's happening here is that Abraham died, Isaac died, Jacob died. He wasn't just buried. He lived on. He was gathered to his people. He is alive, and God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. He was gathered to his people. In Hebrews chapter 12, this is a promise to us who follow Jesus Christ. He says, in verse 22 and 23, he said, You have not come to all of these things that are earthly. He said, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, to the church, to the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And he goes on and on saying, we've been gathered to, we're going to be gathered to an innumerable innumerable company of angels. 
the people of God, the general assembly, the gathering of God's people. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So you see, your inheritance means when you die, usually an inheritance means somebody else has to die before you get it, right? But at this inheritance, you die and you're gathered to your people. Now, who's your people? Where are your people? Are your people the people of God? Or are your people the people of the devil? I mean, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Do you belong to the people of God? You see, the rich man died too, the same day Lazarus died, and it says he went to hell. He was gathered to his people too. So you see, when you die, you're going to be gathered to your people. The people of God in heaven, or the people of hell. Because you rejected Jesus Christ. So, our inheritance, though, as a follower of Christ, as children of Abraham, by faith, is in heaven with the saints of God. Our inheritance means we're going, secondly, to a promised place. Now, in chapter 49 of Genesis, Jacob made him promise. I want you to take me back to the cave in the field and bury me where Abraham's buried, where Sarah's buried, where Isaac's buried, where Rachel's buried, where Leah's buried. That's where I want to be buried. Take me back to that promised place. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 5 and verse 13, that's exactly what Joseph and his sons did. They, they made this great procession out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, and they buried Jacob, and they mourned for him. And this land of Canaan, this was the promised land, but it hadn't yet been given to them. But it was the land of promise to Abraham and his descendants. And, and having their bodies buried there was symbolic that they were receiving it. Jacob said, take me back there because that's the land God gave me. It's not ours yet, but it was an act of faith. It was, it was an act of faith for them to be buried there. For example, when we bury our loved ones, which direction are they facing? Do you know this? They're facing east. Does anybody know, know why they bury Christians facing east? Do you know that, that, that Muslims aren't buried that way? Jews, Orthodox Jews aren't married that, buried that way? Because facing east, it's a symbolic act of our faith because Jesus said when he comes back, he's going to split the eastern sky. So when we bury our loved ones, it's an act of faith to, to face them east because Jesus is coming back and going to raise us from the dead. This burial in the promised land was an act of their faith saying, God's going to give it to us and that's where I want to be buried. In Genesis chapter 50, Verse 24 through 26, Joseph made his brothers promise, when I die, they buried him in Egypt. But he said, when God, God's going to deliver you out of this land. He's going to bring you out. And he says, when God brings you out, bring me with you. Take my bones with you. That's mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, that's exactly what Moses did. When they were leaving, hundreds of years later, they didn't forget the bones of Joseph. They brought Joseph's bones and they buried him back in Canaan. It was a promise. It was an act of faith. You see, there was an understanding that this promised land was just a physical promised land, but there was another place far greater and eternal. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that, that they expected something even greater than physical land. In Hebrews 11, the Bible says about Abraham, even though he had gone to a foreign country, that God gave him. It said he waited 
For the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It says in verse 13, All of these men and women of the faith, our patriarchs, did not receive the promises in their lifetime, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. Listen, folks, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're saved, this is not your home. If you feel out of place here, you're supposed to. You don't belong here. You weren't made for this world. Did you know that? We were made for eternity. We were made for perfection. We, we don't experience that yet. We are foreigners. We're strangers. We're aliens. We're sojourning in this land. And some people, even supposed Christians, many church people, live with all their marbles in this life. Like this is all it is. Good gracious, if this is all it is, woe is us. There's death here of all ages. There's disease of all types. There's brokenheartedness. There's great need. There's sorrows of all kinds, troubles. You want to be make this your whole life? Man, we have an inheritance coming. We have a promised place that's being prepared for us. He says in this passage, for those who say such things that they're strangers and says they declare plainly that they seek a homeland. For truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, a heavenly country. You see, for us too, there's that promised place. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. You know what? We, we need to stop and contemplate that place a little bit more often in our lives. Especially when we start getting dissatisfied, discontent with what we already have or what we don't have. We need to start contemplating that place. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You see, there's a place. Hebrews 12, 22 calls him calls that place he said again back in that verse i read earlier you've come to mount zion to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem the heavenly jerusalem paul uh, john talked about the heavenly J jerusalem in chapter 21 of revelation he describes it in in human terms in a way that that we can relate but it's still going to be even grander when he talks about the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and the crystal sea and and the walls of jasper and the foundations and and all the many splendorous things we read about in revelation 21 it just barely scratches the surface it's hard for us to imagine the glory of heaven there's not going to be any night there there's not going to be any sun or moon how can it be no night there's no sun there's no moon he said the glory of god illuminates it there will be no shadows there'll be no darkness there Light that comes from everywhere will dispel every darkness. In God is light and no, in Him is no darkness whatsoever. It's hard for us to imagine that. But that's our inheritance. We are going to a promised place to be gathered with God's people. Think on that. Man, I need to, I need to remind myself of that. When life down here is hard and tough. You know what else our inheritance involves? Our gain of the precious possession. 
In Genesis 49, 30, it says, In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. Abraham, Abraham had to purchase this field for it to become his possession. Yet God had promised to Abraham to give him the whole land as his possession. Listen to this promise to Abraham from God. God said, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Do you know Israel will never be destroyed? Do you know that? The original boundaries laid out in the scriptures for Israel will never be destroyed. Now there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but, but Israel is going to be an everlasting possession. If God said it, is it true? It will never, ever be destroyed. I don't care what enemies gather around. That's why the United States, you better be careful when you start fooling with Israel because he says, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll what? Curse those that curse you. I don't care where you stand politically, but if you stand against Israel, you're under a curse. I'm sorry, that's what the Bible says. You better stand with Israel. You better stand with the president and with the government that supports Israel because that's what the Bible says. And we're followers of God. And by the way, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a son of Abraham. I'm going to show you that before this message is over. But this field, this burial cave, was simply the representation of Abraham's faith. He bought it, but he was bought it as a place to bury his loved ones, but it was a representation of his faith in the fulfillment of God's promise. He said, I'm going to buy this field. I know God's going to give it to me, but I'm going to buy this field to bury my loved ones. In fact, the one he bought it from offered to give it to him, but he said, no, I don't want it to be said that you made Abraham rich. God is the one who enriches my life. So he paid money for it. But when he buried his loved ones there again, it was like a representation of his faith. God's going to fulfill this promise. It would be like God saying to you, okay, today, I know it's only 10% chance of rain. You look at the weather report tomorrow, 90% chance. But it's coming right after church. It would be like you going, well, I better get my umbrella. Because that's a representation of your faith. If you pray for rain, are you carrying your umbrella? It would be like Noah building the ark when no record of rainfall. They didn't know what rain was. And God said, Noah, build an ark. I'm going to send rain. It's going to fall. Water's going to fall from the sky. It's going to come from the ground. You better get busy. Noah's building the ark as an act of his faith. And see, that's, what we ha that's how we have to live. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. And the life that, that's coming for us is more real than the life we're living now. What are we doing to prepare for that place? As that place is being prepared for us, what are we doing to prepare for it? Genesis 48, 4, Joseph, Jacob spoke of this land as their possession. He told Joseph, this is our possession. So now what makes this possession, this land, this place so precious? This heaven, this new city, this new Jerusalem. What makes it so special, so precious? Well, first of all, as I said before, it's unimaginable. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I is not seen nor ear has heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, Christmas time, one of my favorite parts of Christmas time, one of my favorite words of Christmas time, and I believe this, was on, I believe this is part of God's nature. I really do. You know why? And, and I'm going to give you the word. It's surprise. That's one of my favorite parts of Christmas. I believe that's part of God's nature. He loves surprising His kids. 
That's what I love. I, I hate it when my kids snoop and try to find out what they got, even though they're adults. I hate it when Tana knows what she's going to get. My greatest joy is surprising. I think that's part of God's nature. For generations, from the beginning of, of time, God told Eve, your seed will bruise his heel, will crush his, uh, he will, the devil will crush, your, uh, bruise his heel, but he, your seed, will crush his head. It was a promise of the coming Messiah. So all these thousands of years through the, through the Old Testament, God gave little hints, little reminders. It's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's building up the, the anticipation. And that's what we do starting in October these days. We start building up to Christmas, don't we? It used to be Thanksgiving, <coughs> but Walmart just can't wait. And so we start building up the anticipation early, and we say, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And, and, and 400 years of silence. You see, that's the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas where nothing seems to be happening. Where, where are these presents y'all promised me? And that's what they were going, Lord, where's this promise that you, you said was coming? For 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, no son, no Messiah, no words from God, no promises, no hints, no reminders, no nothing. And then all of a sudden, Bam! Jesus steps on the scene as a, in the form of a baby. Did they expect him to come as a baby? No! What did they expect? Him riding on a great white horse with a sword in his hand and slaying all of his enemies. That's what they expected. But he came as a little baby. He surprised them. Heaven, we, we know a lot about it. We think we do. But when we get there, it's going to be like, here's, here's what I didn't tell you. What we know of heaven now is just the wrapping paper and the bow. How many of y'all play with the wrapping paper? I'm talking about if you're over, older than five. You don't play with the wrapping paper. You don't care about the bow or the box. You, you, you're concerned with the gift. What we know of heaven is kind of like the wrapping paper and the bow. It's unimaginable for what's, for what's inside. Eye has not seen, ear nor has heard. It's rich. It's glorious. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.18. The eyes, he's, Paul's praying that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's rich. It's glorious. Hebrews 9 and 10 talk about it being eternal and enduring. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. He says that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. In chapter 10 and verse 34, the Bible says, For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. What happens when bills go unpaid? What happens when you lose uh, money or an amount of money. What happens when, when you suffer loss in this world to your material earthly possessions? This verse says, when you do that, it's no big deal because you realize you got more coming. And it's in heaven. All your marbles aren't right here. But I need to hear that. You need to hear that. It's eternal. It's enduring. Oh, I love 1 Peter 1, 4. Listen to what he says here. He says, we're going to be given an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled and does not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you incorruptible undefiled doesn't fade away now you name something you have on this in this world that those three things describe your bank account 
your stocks, your vehicle, your home, your real estate. Let me ask you, what of those things can those three words describe in this world? None of it. None of it. But you let us lose one of those things and you think we had died. It's incorruptible. And let me tell you something else. It's immeasurably massive. You know what the Bible says? That Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1-2, is the heir of all things. Okay, now you think about that. Now you may have inherited a little bit from your family. But what if you inherited everybody's inheritance? What if you got the inheritance that was owed everybody in the whole world? So that's immeasurable. You're right. But Christ is the heir of all things. All things. Everything God has created, everything that, that exists is Christ's. Now, watch this. The Bible says in Romans 8 that because we're children of God, we're heirs of God, and... Y'all listening? How many of y'all have brothers and sisters? How many of y'all had to split the inheritance with your brothers or sisters? Fun! Fun, fun. Selfish people want it all. You know what I found? Is that's when the fight starts. It's a shame. That's when the fight starts. Because we're grabbing for earthly, temporal junk. That those three words, undefiled, incorruptible, and doesn't fade away, doesn't describe. We get all bent out of shape over those things. So back to this. Jesus is the heir of all things. And the Bible says in Romans 8, we're, because we're children of God, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? It means all that's His is mine. All that's His is yours. The inheritance that you receive in Christ is immeasurably massive. It's far beyond anything you've got here. It cannot compare. But we live as if it's all about here. Why? Because we're dumb. We're focused on the wrong thing. And the Bible also says it's to be shared with all the saints. Hebrews 11, 39 and 40 says, Having all these, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. That is, all these people he mentioned in Hebrews 11, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all these others, they didn't receive the promise in this lifetime. Because God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Listen, it's going to be shared with all the saints of God, when all the saints of God are gathered together, when all the saints of God are in that promised place, and, and we all together gain that precious possession. And I want to share something with you lastly. In Genesis chapter 28, I read it for you a moment ago, but I read over it intentionally, saving it for this point right here. We go back to Genesis 28, and we look at verse 13 to 14. We see that God is giving him all this land and all these possessions. But verse 15 is really the greatest promise of all. He said, Behold, what's the next four words? I am with you. You see, our inheritance, it includes gathering with God's people. 
It includes a promised place. It includes a precious possession. But the best part of our inheritance is the, is the guarantee of a promised person. That's our greatest inheritance. You know, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You have nothing in this life or the next. You can be a multi-cabillionaire, and without Christ, you're nothing. Jesus said it, apart from me, you're, you can do nothing. Without me, we are nothing. Without Christ. You see, it was their guarantee of the promises being fulfilled. You see, what makes the place is the person. What makes the possessions is the giver of the possessions. What makes the gathering of God's people is the greatest person we get to be gathered to is to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Abraham, I mean, God told Abraham, he's given him all these promises. And, and Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, and then we come to chapter 15, and Abraham asked God a question. He said, Lord, you've given me all this stuff, but I don't have a son to give it to when I die. I don't have an heir. You know what Abraham, God told Abraham? He said, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Quit worrying about a kid. If I promise you the stars of the heaven and you're 99 years old, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Focus on me. I want you to love me with all your heart, not the promises I've given you, not the blessings I've bestowed. I want you to love me. I am your exceedingly great reward. That's what God wants from every one of us this morning and the rest of our lives. We get to loving the blessings and we forget the blesser. The possessions instead of the possessor of our souls. Jesus said in John 14, as he told us about that place, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and do what? Receive you to that place, or what did he say? Receive you to myself. You see, Jesus, our Lord, He's the promised person that we'll get to be with forever and ever and ever and ever. In Ephesians chapter 1, listen to what the Bible says, verse 13. In Him you also trusted, that is Christ. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You know, how do I know I'm going to get this? How do I know that I'm going to be gathered to God's people? How do I know that I'm going to have this prom go to this promised place? How do I know I'm going to get to receive this precious possession how do I know I'm going to get to be gathered to be with this, this uh, person, Jesus Christ? Well, this scripture tells us that he's given the Holy Spirit to us. The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in every believer. And he's the guarantee that promises our delivery to that place, promises the possession of all the inheritance that we receive. You know, think of it like this. The Holy Spirit's like the postage stamp. 
on a letter. Now, if you write a letter and you go into great detail about how much you, this person means to you and how you're looking forward to seeing them and how you're sending them money so they can come see you and, and you just can't wait to see them and you seal it in an envelope and you take it to the post office and you put it in the, in the drop box, will it get there? What would you forget? You didn't put a stamp on it. Will it get there? No, it's going to be returned to sender, right? You have to have the seal, the stamp. If you have the stamp on it, it's been paid to be delivered, right? Well, Jesus paid the price, and he paid the price on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of sin. The price has been paid, and he put the seal on our lives, the Holy Spirit of God, that promises our delivery to heaven. And that we will receive all that has been put in that special place for us. You could think of it like a king's signet ring. Back in the days before stamps, as they would write their messages on parchment paper and roll it up, maybe tie it with a string, but the edge of the paper that was still hanging over the roll would be sealed with wax, and the king would impress his signet ring that had his seal on it. And everybody knew nobody could open that parchment. Nobody could break that seal except the recipient of that letter. And that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee. Nobody can tamper with you. You are sealed until the day of your delivery to the purchased possession for you. The redemption of the purchased possession. Jesus paid the price. The seal has been given to redeem it in heaven. That day is coming for you if you know Jesus Christ. But you see, this inheritance is only for sons and daughters. Jacob inherited the promises of Isaac and Abraham only because he was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. And he had the same faith in God that they did. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews eleven nine. 9. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. You see, another, another young man out there in that day would not inherit those promises. Only a son of Abraham. So I want to remind you this morning, is you can't, this inheritance that I've been describing is not yours if you're not a son of Abraham. If you're not a daughter of Abraham, you can't have it. And I'm not talking about physical sons because I, there may be some Jewish people in here that would be classified as descendants of Abraham from the physical line of Abraham. But for the most part, none of us are. I'm not. I'm a Gentile through and through as far as I know. That's why this passage means so much to me in Galatians 3. Therefore, know that not only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises. You are Abraham's sons and daughters 
if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, everything I just described for you is yours. You're an heir. But if you are not a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham, that is, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you've been left out of the inheritance. But you can join. You can become a son or a daughter of God. The Bible tells you how in John 1.12. The Bible says Jesus came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God this very day. And the moment you do, I don't get more of an inheritance than you. You will get an equal share in the inheritance with those who've been saved for years. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to share it all together. But you need to come to Jesus Christ by faith this morning. If you've never done so, that is what guarantees your inheritance. Would you bow with me this morning? Maybe that's what you need to do right now, right here.